Well, it is a privilege for me to be able to share the Word of God with you tonight. A lot of you that came knowing that I was going to be the one preaching, I'm impressed that you actually still came. And uh, it's only been since mid-March that I have been able to uh, preach the Word of God. So I have, uh, it's, it's been all, quite a while. So when he said that uh, next week they only had seven minutes per, there was 35 minutes slotted for preaching, I said, I hope that's not the case tonight. <laughs> well, anyway, we'll see. But uh, no, it's, it's been a real, real, real joy for us to be back home. And uh, Maine is our home. And we've been gone, as probably most of you know, maybe not all of you, but we've been gone from Maine full-time for 15 years. It's amazing how fast time goes. But uh, five in North Carolina at Bible College, and then ten, the last ten years in Nova Scotia, uh, pastoring the church there. And, and uh, that uh, we, you know, we're already praying and seeking the Lord about, about a change in ministry, as I believe most of you know. Uh, coming into the end of last year and beginning of this year, and uh, the Lord is definitely leading it in that, and thankful for for his leading. And then this whole COVID thing struck. And uh, our, our time in Nova Scotia kind of came to an abrupt end for different reasons, and that doesn't really matter. We didn't know really, even at the time, what God was doing. It wasn't real clear uh, to us as a family. As a matter of fact, I struggled with that decision the morning we were leaving. And uh, I hooked up. I, we were getting ready to, to leave, and we always pray before we go on the road. And the moving truck was loaded, and we were ready uh, to go. And then I hesitated, and I said, what are we doing? And I, I didn't know. I didn't even see. I didn't see what God was, where God was bringing us or why. And I still don't always, <laughs> didn't always know why, but... Um, Michelle said the right thing. She says, well, are you going to stay? She says, nope, let's go. And we got in our vehicles, and uh, I'm so thankful for her answer right then, because if she had hesitated too, I'd probably unloaded the truck. <laughs> but uh, it has been difficult, uh, to say the least, because there are times, and I think we all can relate to this when we travel, uh, you know when you're on the right road sometime. But lately, we haven't even known if we're on the right road. <laughs> let alone where we're going. And that's not been an easy process. And God has been graceful, uh, gracious to us in that time. Uh, but we are just simply, as we've sung tonight, just trying to trust and obey. And uh, he is uh, beginning to show us kind of some of the reasons that we had to come when we did. And uh, then... Through the process, God has just really been ministering, at least to our family and to me personally, and has given us exactly what we needed, even though we didn't know we needed it. Isn't that interesting? So as we look back now, what was supposed to be just a couple weeks staying with Tim and Kathy has turned into a couple of months. So if you're praying for somebody, pray for them. But they've been very, very kind to us, and uh, I'm so thankful for, the, for them. But as now over this last couple of months, it's become more and more clear that God knew exactly what he was doing, imagine that, and that we did need to simply trust him. And we've been growing in that, and I hope that you have, have been as well. So tonight, I get to open the word of God and don't start timing me yet. I don't know when that 35 minutes starts. I'll tell you when to start, okay? But, and, uh, but we, I, when I left Nova Scotia, one of the things that I was preaching through was the book of 1 Samuel. And an interesting thing happened. I don't often repeat. And the main reason I would never repeat a message here is because my brother-in-law, Kevin, is back from Florida. And if I repeated and he knew it, he would say something like, repeat! And I don't want him to do that. But then, the funniest thing happened Wednesday night. Your pastor, Pastor Mark, says, gave a message from 1 Samuel, and he touched on the verse that God had already been using in my heart, and I want to share from tonight. And so it is kind of a repeat, but not mine, you know. So anyway, 
you'll see all that. And uh, I showed him after the service Wednesday. I said, I got all these notes in my Bible on these pages. There's some seed thoughts and things the Lord's already been using in my life, my heart, and uh, really developed into a message that I hope will be a help to you as it has been to me in these very difficult, troubling, uncertain days. And we find that in 1 Samuel chapter 30, chapter 30. If you would take your Bibles there and just uh, turn to there. We're going to. I was preaching through 1 Samuel anyway in, in Nova Scotia, and I only made it to about chapter 18, so I kind of cut that. I kept reading and, and, and of course, was, had some thoughts in my heart and kind of preparing for months to come in preaching this. This is one of the passages. I heard a message from a friend of mine back some months ago as well in regards to this passage. And uh, Then the Lord brought it back to my heart even in preparation for tonight, as I said. So the... the the book of 1 Samuel is very, very interesting to me. There's a lot of applications to our day and time in which we find ourselves. And I think you, all of you know, and Pastor Mark has, has mentioned this even lately uh, because of part of the routine, the Bible reading the church is, is working through. But in 1 Samuel, Israel has gone from a theocracy to a monarchy. And then by the time you get kind of working through the whole, uh, the whole book, you go through the reign of the first king, King Saul, and then by the end of the, the book, you see the trans, uh, King Saul killed, and then it's going to transition to David as the king. And David, the life of David, and the study of the life of David kind of comes into view as well. It's a very interesting study, the life, of, the life of David. And there's a lot that we can glean from that, and I already have. But David comes into the picture, as we know, as a shepherd boy, a young a teenager, and then, of course, he comes on the scene in a grand scale and in the defeat of Goliath. And we know that whole story. It's fantastic. And then as it, as it moves uh, through, he becomes, goes from a shepherd to a giant killer to a fugitive of sorts, right? Being chased uh, by King Saul and running for his life. And that kind of fills up uh, a good portion of the, the second half of the book of 1 Samuel. And, and he has opportunities, two of them, right, to kill King Saul, but he doesn't do it. He has the whole confrontation with Nabal, or Nabal, or however you want to say that. But uh, Nabal's wife, Abigail, intervenes into that, and God kind of takes care of that whole situation. This is kind of just a backdrop of what we'll look at tonight. And as 1 Samuel unfolds, and as we kind of get to the latter chapters, there is this sense anyway, and I want to start just, again, still by introduction, looking at the beginning of chapter 27, I want to just show you a couple things, and this is all introduction still, so just bear with me if you would. But you get a sense that through the trials that David goes through, and time, and those two things will wear a person down, and it seems like it does in the life of David as well. Trials and time. If, time, if trials don't do it, time through trials will wear you down, right? And it has a tendency to do that well, all of us, doesn't it? At least it does for me. And as we see that, even in the time in which we live, as this whole lockdown and this virus goes on, we may have put up with it for the beginning, but as it lingers on a while, we get tired of it, don't we? Well, at least I do. And as we come to the latter chapters of the book of 1 Samuel, get the sense that's what is happening in David's life. Chapter 27, it says, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. David is at a critical tipping point in his life, and we see that he gets to a crossroads or a fork in the road. So he's got to do something different. And he has a decision whether he's going to keep running or if he is going to hide out for a bit and rest in the land of the Philistines. So just from this verse, three uh, four thoughts that uh, I want to sh show you kind of gives us a glimpse at uh, what David's heart is at this time because first of all David listened to his heart because the verse 1 says David said in his in his heart David said in his heart now that is what I call the wrong counsel the wrong counsel do you talk to yourself 
Now, you don't have to answer that out loud. I talk to myself too, okay? It happens once in a while. We talk. It's not necessarily a bad thing, I, I don't think. But um, we can debate kind of if that's good or, or not. But the thing is, is this. Do you speak truth to your heart or do you listen to your heart? And that's a, kind of a, a, a good way to, to look at it. The heart, our hearts are desperately wicked who can know it? That's what the, it's desperately wicked above all things, the Bible says, right? Who can know it? So David is now, he is, he said in his heart, he's listening to his own heart. I believe that David started with a wrong counsel in his heart. Then it progresses to David lied to himself. He listened to his heart and then he lied to himself. He came to a wrong conclusion. If you listen to your desperately wicked heart, you're going to come to the wrong conclusion. How can, I, how can I illustrate this? You could think in your heart, say that maybe somebody like the Denver Broncos or maybe even the Dallas Cowboys are the best team in the NFL. You can say that in your heart. And if you say that in your heart long enough, you're going to come to the wrong conclusion. Well, David was, uh, he said in his heart, and he came to the wrong conclusion. I'm just kidding about all that other. So you can root for whoever you want and be wrong. But in David's case, it was a little more serious because he was listening to the, his heart. He was said in his heart, and he told himself a lie. I shall now perish, he says, one day by the hand of Saul. And by saying that in his heart, he was going to, he said, he was ignoring, rather, everything that God had promised him. He ignored that Samuel had come and anointed him the king. He had ignored the fact that even Abigail, his wife now, had announced it to him that he would be the king. It's in chapter 25 and verse 30. His good friend Jonathan, Saul's son, had reminded him of that. Over and over again. You can see that throughout the book. And even King Saul himself in chapter 24 and verse 20 knew that David was going to be the next king of Israel. And as he comes to this place and he said in his heart, he's listening to the wrong counsel. He's letting his heart speak instead of letting God's truth speak. And he lies to himself. And he comes to the wrong conclusion. David, in this verse, also limited God, didn't he? By making a wrong choice. The verse says, There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. Nothing better? Nothing better? I, if I remember right, the Bible says that the will of God is good and perfect. There's nothing better than the will of God. And the will of God is what he needed to follow. The will of God was what he needed to do. He needed to follow the truth of what God had told him. And he came to this choice and he limited his God. There's nothing better for me than to go to the land of the Philistines. He came instead to a wrong compromise, didn't he? A wrong compromise. The land of the Philistines? And he comes and he goes to the, to the, and the king of Gath. Achish, the king of Gath, uh, verse 2 says... You remember Gath, right? Goliath of, of Gath. He's going to the enemy. And he is hiding out there. And he says, there's nothing better for me. A wrong choice led to compromise. And let me tell you, it says in verse 3 of chapter 27, David dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives. Now catch this. There's another lesson altogether. You never sin on yourself. It, only, and not, it, it affects others. And David had two wives. He had a household. He had 600 men. Every man with his household. Start counting that up. David's decision affected a lot of people, didn't it? He came to a wrong compromise. Sin has its consequences and they continue there. Verse 7 of this chapter says, And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. 
I'm just going to go hide out there. There's nothing better for me anyway. And it's going to be the easy road. Why don't I just go down there for a while? And a full 16 months later, he's still there. Well, it is during that time that uh, David and his band of 600 men, and you can look at this on your own time, perhaps not now, but uh, chapter 28 and 29, that kind of go through what is happening. It gives the details of, of him. He goes, starts attacking kind of some guerrilla warfare is starting to go on, right? He's attacking some of the enemies of Israel, actually. They're not the enemies of the Philistines. So he hides that fact from King Achish. Achish asks him, hey, where you been? And he tells him kind of in a roundabout way what he's been doing. He's actually uh, attacking the, the, the enemies of Israel while he is living with the Philistines, the enemy of Israel. And he's actually for the cause of... Anyway, it's kind of confusing, but that's what it's all. And he keeps it from the king because, after all, he's in Philistine territory. He's under Achish's rule, so to speak, but he's also going about... Anyway, that all leads up to chapter 30, where I said we'd be. And that was all... You can start timing. 35 minutes right now. Okay? All right. Now, (laughs) he's... Running from Saul, we come to chapter 30, and now, as, and as chapter 28, 29 goes along, not only is he an enemy of Saul and, and the armies of Israel, now he's rejected by Achish and the Philistines. Because they're going to, it's, it's bound to happen, Israel and the Philistines are always kind of going at it, so to speak, right? So they now are going to go to battle, and David kind of falls in line behind Achish and says, I'll go fight with you. But the princes of the Philistines said, whoa, 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 time out. That's not exactly how it reads, but it's something like that. And he, he said, this is David. You remember David? You know, the one that killed his ten thousands? He's not coming to battle with us. So Achish has to go to him and say, you know, I'm sorry, you're going to have to head on back home. So he does. And that's where we find him in verse 30. He is in a deep, dark place right here. I believe out of the will of God, I think that some of this gives evidence that he would be not where God would have really desired him to be. He is in a compromised place. And now, and so he has everything, so to speak, against him. His king, King Saul, wants to kill him. Now his enemies don't even want his help. And as it unfolds in the past, beginning of chapter 30, we saw, and we saw this on, on Wednesday night, that even in, in um, verse uh, 6, it says this, that David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Now the 600 men that were with him, they're talking about stoning him to death. And he is, his wives and children, we see, uh, we know from the beginning of the chapter as well, from Wednesday night, that, uh, that, that in verse 2, and had taken the women captives that were therein from Ziklag, where his wife and children were. They slew not any. He didn't know that yet, though, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So you see what is happening. His king is after him. He's in enemy territory. The enemy doesn't want him. He comes back to Ziklag, his borrowed town, and that's burned to the ground. His wife and children are gone. It's empty. And now his own men want to, want to kill him, stone him to death. And it is in the midst of all of that that we see the remainder of verse 6 and really my text where we will spring from tonight. Verse 6, I'll begin at the beginning of the verse. David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters, but... I love this. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. In perhaps the darkest hour, something, things worse than I hope that any of us will see, David could find hope and find encouragement in the Lord his God. For us, we find ourselves... Perhaps with one or two of these things, maybe your fortune has gone. Stock market goes upside down. Things happen. Maybe you go without some, any type of uh, 
monetary income for a couple of months, say. Maybe uh, your family is gone. Or loved ones are gone. Maybe your friends are few, far between. Maybe there's been some that have even turned against you. And for a while, all of us can say our foe, the enemy, seems to be winning. Seems like they're getting the victory, doesn't it? And maybe, even like David, some of your failures in your own life, the choices that you and I have made, finally catch up to you. You have to deal with them. You're in a tough spot. You can, and we all must, in those times, encourage ourselves in the Lord. We see number one tonight, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Because number one, he had a personal relationship with God. You notice in the phrase that we see at the end of verse six, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And it says his God. It's his God. That's that's where he finds encouragement. It's not good enough that David's mom and dad's God. It's not good enough that it's his pastor's God or his friend's God or or whatever the case might be. It's the Lord, his God. Can you say that tonight? If everything in your life is taken away and stripped away and you find yourself seemingly with nothing in this world, is it still enough that the Lord is your God? That you know Christ is your Savior? That you've come to know Him and to have faith in Him and to have eternal life given to you by Him? The Lord, your God. The Lord, His God. You know, in the trials and testings of life and these times of distress and despair reveal to us just how far we stray. And it reminds us all of our need for God again. Boy, we drift from that, don't we? Do you drift from that? I do. There are times when things are going well. We tend to start finding ourselves depending on ourselves. But David reminds us that when it got to the bottom, so to speak, he could still look to the Lord his God. He could be encouraged in Him. Oh Lord, revive us again. There are many, many passages. Psalm 42 is not uh, particularly a psalm of of David, but we catch the sense of the psalmist here as it says, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You get the sense of the psalmist here where he would write, He says, my tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. Verse 5, he speaks to him, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast. Now he turns his heart back to God. Chapter, uh, rather Psalm 46, one of my favorite Psalms. God is our refuge and strength. Very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear. Sometimes we have to simply be still and know that I am God. That's what it ends with, Psalm 46.10. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. I've been reading through the book of Philippians in my my private devotion, my personal devotions lately. And I was reminded in Philippians chapter 3 how Saul says there how he accounted all things but dumb. He had given up all things. And I realize that in the context, he's talking about all the things that he was depending on for favor with God. But uh, we take that literally as well. where He really gave it all up. Gave it all up for God. But he says there that I might... he He lost it all for Christ, but he won Christ. 
Isn't that great? Are we willing to do that? To give it all up for Christ so we might win Christ. But He doesn't end there. That He, was, that he also praises, praises the Lord in, in, in Philippians 3 how He would be found in Christ. He would win Christ and He'd be found in Christ. And then He concludes in, in Philippians 3.10 and that I might know Christ because we can also be as believers. We need to know Christ all the more, don't we? And that's the process that we go through of growth and sanctification in Christ. But it sometimes takes a time of losing things. And in this time in David's life, he had to learn. He came back to that place where he would find his encouragement in the Lord, his God, his God. He had a personal relationship with God. You know, through this time of uh, isolation and and for us, transition and really not knowing exactly what God would have for us, for us next. You know, God sends us through these things to make us better, to strengthen us, to encourage our hearts, and to grow us in Christ. Do we realize that tonight? Maybe we need that reminder. God isn't, isn't causing us or puts us through times of trial and testing so we'll come out the other side of it worse. We know that, right? But every once in a while, I have to tell my own heart that. Because <laughs> the devil comes along, he tries to whisper in your ear, God doesn't love you. If God loved you, he wouldn't, he wouldn't make you go through this. If He wouldn't allow this to happen to you. Those are lies of the devil. God sends us through times of trial and testing and difficulty. And yes, here for David, it was distress. He was at the bottom. But he would learn that he could be encouraged in the Lord his God. He had a personal relationship with the God of heaven. We see number two tonight, this as David encouraged himself in the Lord. We come to verses 7 and 8, and I'll just say it this way, that David prayed fervently. He had a personal relationship with God, and he prayed fervently. David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to, to David. Now, all of these things, it's Old Testament and it's different. Okay, This ephod, the priest's covering, and then the Urim and the Thummim and all this stuff. I don't even know how to say half the words. Okay, It's alright. Because it's just all for us today, New Testament church, in the church age, it's dealing with prayer. Okay? That's simpler for me. I'm a simple guy. I like to put it simple. So let's just say, it by application to us today, David prayed fervently. And he says that in verse 8, David inquired at the Lord. That's the phrase, right? He inquired at the Lord. He sought God. Aren't you glad we can pray? <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you, these, uh, these troubling times it will teach us and remind us again how much we need to pray. And how much we need God. And David, of course, in this time had great needs. So, in our application, New Testament, he perhaps put this principle to practice. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly, right, for the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's the times that we say, you know what, I've got to get a hold of God. Now, we would hope that we would all the time. But that isn't always the case when we, God sends us through this so we might get back to where we need to be. And we know in James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one another and pray one for another that you may be healed. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This is being put to practice now in David's life. He, to pray without ceasing, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. As 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. God wants us to pray. And David starts to pray again. Can we say it that way? He starts to pray again because there's no mention as we looked at the beginning of chapter 27 when he's making the decision to go down to Gath and to align himself with Achish as he goes to the enemy territory and to hide out in, in, with the Philistines. It doesn't mention anything about him praying about that matter. 
And also, during the whole time, when he's down there, as you read through these chapters, it doesn't really talk about David praying. Matter of fact, it doesn't really mention him much at all. If you were to research the background of the Psalms, you would wonder, are there any Psalms, any songs from the Psalter that would come through in that time where he's, you know what, just hiding out for a year and four months? There's no prayer from his lips. There's no praise from his lips. There's no psalms that come out of that time. And now in the time of despair and distress and deep difficulty, it drives David back to determined prayer. Did you get all that? (laughs) It drives him back to his knees. And if we would simply seek God in the times of decision and pray about these matters like he finally does again in chapter 30, verses 7 and 8, instead of allowing the circumstances to dictate his decisions like they did back in chapter 27, we wouldn't spend time with the Philistines. David had a personal relationship with his God. David prayed fervently. Here in verse 8, number 3, David was persuaded Completely. David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? Don't you love this? Because God hears your prayer. And here he chooses to answer right away. Because he answered him, Pursue. Pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Isn't that great? God in His gracious uh, acts toward His man after His own heart. You remember that about David? David inquires at the Lord. He prays fervently. And then David was persuaded completely. God said, pursue. You shall surely overtake them. Without fail, recover all. I see those as simply God's great promises to David. He's promising him. And... He's believing them. David's believing them or believe them by faith. That's what he's doing. Are all those a reality to him right now? They're not. He hasn't overtaken anybody. And he hasn't recovered anything. But God said it. And David believed it. And on he went. We'll get to that in just a minute. You know, we can be encouraged in these things. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of things not seen. We know that. We believe and we know so many of the promises of God. You know that God's promised us as His children and His church so many things. And there's been times in, that uh, we, we go through ups and downs of the Christian walk that God allows us to face that the devil, again, will use those times to bring doubt into our heart. But you know what? They're a reality in the dark as much as they are in the light. And David was persuaded completely. Romans 4.21 says of being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. I believe in, the ver- in Romans 4.21 it's talking about Abraham. But I believe that applies as well to, to David. He was persuaded, persuaded completely. Number four, we see in verses 9 and 10 that he pursued quickly. He pursued quickly. It says that so David prayed about it some more. David waited. That's all it says at all, doesn't it? David went. David went. He and his 600 men that were with him. And he came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David, he pursued. That's what God said, right? God said pursue, so David is pursuing. He had he and 400 men. But two hundred abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. Amazing here. David pursued quickly. He obeyed right away. God said it. David actively pursued. He continued to pursue even though two hundred men quit. And it's not always easy when people are quitting. People are quitting on God. Those men knew exactly what God had instructed their, their leader, David, to do. To pursue they get to the book resource. You know what? Well, we can't go on anymore. And they were all weary. Are you weary tonight, Christian? Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season shall, you shall reap if you faint not. 
We need that. And David kept going. These guys were weary. They had prepared for war. As you kind of follow the story, they had marched to Aphek back in 20, uh, chapter 29, verse 1, and then been denied by the princes. So they have a three-day march back to Ziklag. And all of this is transpiring. They're marching here and marching there. I remember when we were in high school and and even a little beyond that, and playing some uh, basketball games and things in the wintertime. Basketball was in the wintertime. I used to get all geared up for playing basketball. And uh, get all fired up, say, oh, it's time to play. And get, kind of, the day came, and you'd get to about noontime, and it started to snow. And it's like, man, are they going to cancel the game? And I was like, oh, you guys will probably like this, right? You bummed right out. They canceled the game. Man, it's only a foot of snow. It's all right, we can make it. And you'd be all let down. And they have to reschedule that thing. I almost see that these 600 men are like that. They're like, they're all geared up for battle. They go over there and they're ready to go. And they say, I'm sorry, you're not coming with us today. You go on back home. We don't need your help. Man, I was going to take some heads off, literally. And they're all bummed out, so to speak. And they go back to Ziklag. And they're just, oh man, three days. Three days up, three days back. I don't know. And they get there. And they start, you know, they're getting close. And they say, there's like smoke rising. What's, what's that? They say, you ever have that sinking feeling when you see like a, a fire truck go by your car and it's headed towards your home? <laughs> and you wonder, I wonder if it's my house on fire. <laughs> I had a house in North Carolina for a while. I wished it would have burned, but it didn't. But anyway, um, in this case, though, it's worse than that because they, uh, they're, they're going along and they get to there and they kind of crest the hill and they say, it is our house. And you can imagine what, they, what was going through their heart. And the Bible tells us exactly what they, I, I skipped over it earlier. It's back in verse 4. You get, you're getting all this? They'd marched over. They'd been rejected. They marched back. And then they get to Ziklag and verse 4 says, And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no power to weep. They wore themselves out weeping. You can, we can only imagine. Maybe some of you have been there. I don't know. Where you are so broken hearted that you've cried yourself dry. And these men, we don't want to be too critical of the 200 that needed to stop, because they did need to stop. They stopped by the brook Besor. They left them there. And, they, and David and the 400 continued, continued on. They continued to pursue quickly. They didn't quit. They kept going. And we can be encouraged in the Lord to press on and to press on, press on. Keep going. Don't stop. Keep living for Christ. Don't let the circumstances, don't let the letdowns get stop you and stop us in our tracks. Over in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, is some encouraging and helpful verses, I believe, to help, help us in this fight, in the battles of life where Paul would write to his son in the faith, Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 3, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Those verses, this the mentor Paul to the son in the face, the son in the faith Timothy, have application really to all aspects of our lives. Their people, husbands and wives, can be encouraging and strengthening one another. Parents to their children, pastors and church members. Are you encouraging your pastor these days, church members? Stay behind him, lift him up. We need. Think about, even as saved people here tonight, the lost, that really are dependent upon us to tell them. We need to go on and pursue quickly and press on, press on, press on. David encouraged himself in the Lord. He had a personal relationship. He prayed fervently. He was persuaded completely and he pursued quickly. As the story unfolds, number five, I'm almost done. 
I think. He pitied others. He pitied others. What do I mean by that? Verse 9 and 10, we just looked at last point. The 200 men that stayed behind at the brook, they weren't condemned or chastised or corrected or put down for staying behind. David said, you know what? You're weary. We all are. And if you need to stop, you stop. This is important. Important. Verse 21 of the chapter. David came, this is after they returned, but David came to the 200 men, came back to the brook, which were so faint, the Bible says this, that they could not follow David. They couldn't go on. They couldn't go on. You know, it's, it's important for us to learn the lesson of this point. We need to be very, very careful just to have mercy, don't we? The ministry of mercy toward one another. That's what happens. That's what I see here. They were so faint they could not follow. These men needed mercy. They needed compassion. They needed rest. And there are some of our brothers and sisters in Christ that may be in the same place. Isn't it easier to be critical? It is, isn't it? What's wrong with it? Why don't they just get up and get busy? Why don't they just do what I do? Isn't that what we're saying? But it's more important for us to minister to them and have compassion and pity and mercy toward one another. I find that the believers many, many times in a church and churches among churches, we just like to throw rocks at one another. When really, if we just simply obey the Lord, be encouraged in the Lord, follow the Lord, it's going to be okay. And yeah, we might not all be able to do the same things. I'm glad of that. Because we all can fit into the body of Christ in different ways and and minister to one another. This pity to others in the following verse, we won't take time to read them, but verse 11 down uh, down through uh, verse 15 is the story of the Egyptian slave that they just find in the field. There's this poor guy just out there left to die. And they come across him, and it says in verse 11, it just points out, it said, and brought him to David, and gave him bread, and he did eat, and they made him drink water. Now, this is this guy out there, and he's dying. So, what do they do? So, man, get up! Hey, are you one of them? No. The first thing they do is they minister to him. They give him what he needs. Get the guy standing back up again. Give him some nourishment. Give him some water. And isn't that so important today? To help people to get back up again if they've fallen? It sure is. I see this in David pitied others that mercy and ministry is what we need to learn from this example. As we encourage ourselves in the Lord, we will be more like the Lord who had mercy on me. Isn't that what God gave us is mercy? He sure did. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Proverbs 11.17 says, The merciful man doeth good to his own soul. We know, and I remember Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, great verses, where it says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithful. Imagine that. God never runs out of mercy. You know what? As I become more like Christ, I'm going to become more and more merciful too. We need to have mercy. Have pity. God is rich in mercy, Ephesians 2.4 tells us. And as we're encouraged in the Lord, I'm going to be attacking one another. I'm going to be helping one another. Mercy, ministering to each other in our times of need. Mercy on others as the Lord has had mercy toward us. Number six. David was providentially blessed. Providentially blessed. This is amazing because they left the Ziklag. They, they start on their way. I don't know what they did to, to know like which way to go. When you follow the, the verses, this Egyptian slave says in verse 13... Because three days are gone, I fell sick at the end of the verse. So three days, he had been uh, kind of on the move. 
We know that David and his men were three days getting back home when they find everything going on. So there's been some time that has gone by. I was thinking that, that maybe they, they simply were, they said to one another, be very, very quiet. We're hunting Amalekites. <coughs> and they started following their tracks. I don't know what it was. I don't know how they knew which way to go. But whatever the case might be, God's providence, His sovereignty is at work here. Because as they go along, they go the right way. They're pursuing as God had led them. And then they just so happen to come across an Egyptian slave that's left out in the wilderness to die. Now, you can believe that just so happened if you want to. But I like to see it that God is so, so uh, rich in his blessings toward you and I that he has people along the way that he providentially knows you need or maybe you're the one that somebody else needs as they journey along and they're trying to find their way and there's a divine appointment that you and I have. Let's not miss it. Listen, if David and his 400 men had gone, continued through the wilderness and they had not picked up on this guy, this Egyptian that was left there dying, if they hadn't found him, they wouldn't have known where to go. But as the story comes down through those verses, they say, hey, do you know how to find those people you happen to be with? He says, I'll take you to them as long as you promise not to kill me. I'm giving you the summary, okay? He says, as long as you promise not to kill me, I'll take you to them. That's exactly what they needed when they needed it. And I'll tell you, there has been so, so many times when I didn't have the answer. I didn't know what God was doing. But as we go and we follow and we continue to trust in Him, God providentially sends exactly what we need when we need it. His providential blessings. We know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 where it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. And in all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. You know that, don't you? I know that. But as we go along, we start saying, you know what? I think that's leaning on my own understanding. And I need to start remembering what God has said. And continue to follow him. And he, the Bible says, shall direct Thy paths. I was just thinking, I'm looking down here at Danny and Rita. It was 15 years ago. We was going off to Bible calls. Different reason. Maybe. When you get there, you might end up taking some classes, maybe. Maybe they'll finally get some education into Danny's head, but I don't know. You can pray for him in that. Lee, Rita's been trying to teach him something. Maybe they can teach Danny something down there, too, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. But. You know, we, Michelle and I, just Michelle mentioned to me, she says, you remember when it was us? And uh, we were leaving Clinton Baptist Church. And we went to just to the foreign country of North Carolina. We didn't go as far south as Florida. They wouldn't have had us anyway, I'm sure. It was hard enough in North Carolina. It was times of excitement. It was also times when at times sure we were very unsure of what, was, what we were getting ourselves into, so to speak. Do you feel that yet, Danny? <laughs> if you don't, read it does. <laughs> Yeah, but you just keep following Him. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord, all of us here tonight. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we can know who holds tomorrow. And we can follow the Lord and trust in Him. And we can, He has providential blessings. He's going to take care of us. He's going to show us His love and His mercy, His grace toward us. And in our greatest times of need, that's when His grace is most evident. That's what the Bible says. Right? And we can trust in Him. I hope that you are tonight. This Egyptian was abandoned by his master, but providentially placed where David needed him when he needed him. And neither David nor the slave knew that. But God did. But God did. Let's just follow him. I'm so thankful that God knows my needs. And in his providence and his power, he already has a plan that I can trust in. Tonight, we close with these, with these thoughts. Encourage yourself in the Lord, friend. Encourage yourself in the Lord. You can always find encouragement in the Lord, your God. Do you know the God of heaven 
through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, in the depth of your heart, you have trusted in Jesus Christ by faith and been born again. Do you know that tonight? That He's the Lord your God. Trust Him, will you? If you have not trusted Him as Savior, would you do that tonight? Have a personal relationship with God. And you can be, Christians here tonight, encouraged in the Lord your God through personal relationship. Keep, keep seeking after Him. Keep following and obeying Him. Grow in your relationship. Know God. Know Christ more every day. You can pray fervently. I'm so glad for the ministry of prayer because you'll never get too old to pray. You may get too old to do other things, but you can always pray. You can be persuaded completely that what God has promised in His Word is true for you. Be persuaded completely that God meant what He said. Pursue and obey quickly. Show pity and mercy and compassion on others. Be providentially blessed along the way. Encourage yourself in the Lord your God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much again for just this opportunity that you've given me to share your word. and Just some of the things that you're teaching me. And Lord, I pray that they have, they have been a help. And yes, even as we've said, an encouragement to these dear folks here tonight. Thank you for their attention. I thank you, Lord, that your word ministers to us. And Lord, I do pray there would be someone here this evening that does not know Christ as their personal Savior, that tonight would be the night they trust in Him. And Lord, for all of us, that we take these uh, simple lessons, simple and practical things from the life of David, and put them to practice in our life, that, Lord, we might be encouraged in the Lord our God. In Jesus' name, amen.